I am excited about Eastercon. I am really excited about Eastercon. I oh gosh, wow, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I am gonna spend four days in a virtual bar, um, when I'm not doing a lot of other things that I've also committed to doing for the Eastercon. So it looks like it's going to be like any other Eastercon in that I have to do ninety seven things every hour and am perpetually exhausted. But at least when I need a little lie down, I'm gonna be very close to my own bed. Liz, do you have any excitement? No, I'm not very excited about Eastercon, that's the problem. Well, that'll that'll go well at the start of the episode. That'll that'll properly like set it all up. I like that. I am the Eeyore of Eastercon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the twenty seventh episode of Octothorpe a podcast for science fiction and science fiction fandom, which will be coming to you on the 18th of March 2021. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. And today we have many letters of comment which have been triggered by our anniversary. Um, So we have letters of comment from Pat McMurray, DC, Chris Garcia, Mark Plummer, Karen Schaefer, Jerry Sullivan and Claire Briley of Croydon. Which I think might be a record, except for the episode we did where we had ignored all of that as a comment for 10 episodes, which um, wasn't really a record because of density, but more through incompetence. So starting from the beginning, Patrick McMurray says that he enjoyed the panels at PicoCon, but didn't do the social space. And um, he writes something about EasterCon, which no longer makes sense because EasterCon have made announcements. That's foreshadowing. And also notes that he ate Polish with his wife uh, in the evening of PicoCon, which is traditional. And I've never eaten Polish food at a PicoCon, but it sounds like a good tradition that I think I should muscle in on when the world's back to normal. Either of you like pierogies? Um, I don't think I've ever eaten Polish at PicoCon. I'm sure we probably used to go for... Oh, there's a little the little pizzeria in South Kensington that's like uh, got a Princess Diana memorial. I wonder if Pat is referring to the fact that for many years only place to eat at South Kensington Station was a Polish restaurant called The Kies. Nowadays, of course, there are many places to eat at South Kensington Station and I, I'm always very surprised. But I too have eaten Polish at PicoCon for this reason. I think my traditional one has been Chinese at PicoCons. Um, I seem to remember going out for dinner with various people and having a quite enormous amount of Chinese food one year, which was very delicious. Oh God, I'm hungry now. Karen Schaefer wrote to us to say, the fish slapping came from Monty Python, you know, and I think I did know that actually, but I'd forgotten. Yeah, when when she emailed, I was like, oh yes, I think I also knew that. And I'm not sure because we did not mention it and it did not occur to me at the time. So thank you very much for writing in on that topic, Karen. Uh, That is very useful. Chris Garcia wrote um that he is the love of claire's poem and he uh expressed excitement about the game Starcrossed and cheap ass he mentions cheap ass games cheap ass games um which also use uh components from other games you probably have in your house yeah i nearly mentioned them last time because they were the company i was thinking of when i was talking about using stuff you've already got in your house to play games with yes I will say that um, while that was true, the last time I bought a cheap ass game, um, 
when I went to look at their selection more recently, they have um, massively prettied up all of their games, and I'm not sure it is any longer true, um, which I think may indicate that if you want people to take you seriously as a games designer, you have to make your games look good, um, which, which is sort of a shame, but I can see why. I believe they're also somewhat less cheap-ass than they used to be. Indeed. I mean, they were amazingly cheap. They were. And also pretty good games. Yeah, yeah. Um, I used to have Save Dr. Lucky and Kill Dr. Lucky. Um, and actually, I played them on the internet with Liz. Did, 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 did you? I think, I think I did, Liz. But now I remember it might have been a lot of other people from Third Row, but not you, because we played in the evening and you would have been asleep. I let Hog 1 save Dr. Lucky by refusing to play a card that meant he could not save Dr. Lucky because I thought that the next person after me would be able to and the next person after me wasn't able to so Hog got away with a cheeky save super early game because I was trying to play strategically and ended up giving him the win. If I had to give anyone the win, it'd be Hog. Yeah, I have absolutely no memory of this. That probably does mean it was it was not. Yeah, but I remember I remember Hog was there. I'm pretty sure Andrew January and Nutty were there. If this was your games playing party, I came to the early bit and then I left at about midnight my time and did not stay on to play more games. So, um, And then just to wrap up uh, Chris's lock, um, in his new lock segment, he calls needlessly updating Octothorpeville on my multitasking. He says he is hanging in a clubhouse chat, listening to Octothorpe, playing a round of Sushi Go, dealing with Jira tickets and writing a lock. The man is a marvel. So he also called EasterCon EasierCon and he refused to change it because he thought that was a good name for it. So, you know, thanks, Chris. Chris, please update us. If you're hanging in a clubhouse chat and also listening to Octothorpe, how do you do it? Do you have like headphones with one in one ear and one in the other? Or do you just have them both like streaming at once and your brain can somehow decode the separate audio streams? Because I am interested now in how you do this. DC wrote to us to say that the main thing that was keeping him sane in the apocalypse was us. So that was very nice of him, really. Yes. Um, he, he was talking about my regular Zoom chats and also um, punctuation and podcasts. So, yeah. We're glad you're enjoying us, DC. Glad to help. Mark Plummer wrote, wrote in to help us decode Angie's um, fiendishly complex code for listing Agatha Christie books. And he writes, N or M, what could it possibly mean? I am now ready to advance a theory. It's a bit out there, but hang with it, okay? Could it be an allusion to Agatha Christie's novel N or M? Uh, yes. That is, that is, thank you for writing in, Mark. Uh, you win some sort of a prize. Apropos of nothing, Plockty used to wonder whether it should have some kind of joke indicator because of the number of people who wrote in to explain the jokes that we hadn't explained in the previous issue. Mark is also joking. No, no, obviously Mark is also joking. <laughs> Oh, good. I mean, I genuinely did have to go and Google to find out that was an Agatha Christie novel. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so Ange did tweet at us to say that she bet that a certain Croydon correspondent could crack the code. So Ange was right. And Mark, our our Croydon correspondent of Agatha Christie novels, has cracked the code. And we will send all further Agatha Christie questions to him forthwith. And then we had a lock from Jerry Sullivan. Yes, so Jerry sent us a a very nice set of comments to say uh, she was not really a podcast person, uh, but we appear to have changed her mind, which is like the best letter of comment. 
So she started with episode 26 and is working backwards and is now on episode 19. She's pretty good going. Um, and she's having many, many thoughts about John uh, in Baths of Weetabix. Too much information, Jerry. And, and she also ate a Weetabix dry while writing the lock. I think, has anyone ever had to do that, you know, um, not really an icebreak, but the thing where you're supposed to eat two digestive biscuits and then whistle as fast as you can as like a sort of physical challenge? Cream crackers, but yeah. Yeah, I think the, the Weetabix would also be uh, a good food for that. So, John, if you haven't done it, I think you should get a Weetabix and see if you can eat a Weetabix and how quickly you can whistle after eating a Weetabix. I've just had an idea for the opening ceremony of Punctuation 2. A terrible idea. <laughs> I've just had an idea for John's ASMR YouTube channel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yep, yep, most excellent. And then, finally, um, our... Um, most prolific contributor of locks and lengthy prolific and lengthy which is the name of her sex tape um <laughs> i might cut that out <laughs> oh, i think you might have got that out yeah <laughs> oh. uh claire briley of croydon writes to say that she listens to the podcast and she is providing the amount of comment that we seem able to accommodate which is fair we we do not um, go into as much detail on Claire's locks as there is detail in her locks. I think it is. I think it is reasonable to say. But her locks are very good, and we always very appreciate getting them. Yes, Claire's locks are fantastic, and you, the listener, will be able to discover that this is indeed the case because alongside Octothor poetry, our anniversary poetry anthology of Octothorpe poems, we are going to be doing Locktothorpe which is an anthology of the letters of comment we have received. And it is truly surprising to me that it took over a year for me to notice that pun. We could have been saying Locktothorpe all along, couldn't we? I know. The real Locktothorpe was the friends we made along the way. But yes, so look out for that on efanzines.com. I haven't asked efanzines.com whether we can put it there, but I'm sure they will let us. And I quite like the idea of having them in a PDF on a website. And, and we could also put some editorial comment in, which would be good. Yes, and doing it once a year means that um, we don't have to do it every episode, which is good. Yeah, I think it is. It was. It was interesting to me because obviously, if we had a paper fanzine, we'd just be able to publish lots of letter comment, and you could read them all um, in full. But by doing it as a podcast, I think we feel that we need to condense them or edit them for broadcast in some way. Otherwise, we probably could spend a good half an hour reading out all the letters um, and responding to them. But I think also because they're letters and people have maybe been writing as letters thinking they would not be published, there may be ones that need to be edited or in other way condensed in order to go in a paper fanzine. Because it's a, I think it's a different relationship. People send us letters, I think, not expecting everything will be read out word for word um, and may send us letters with bits saying, you know, this bit is not for reading out on the podcast. So, yeah, it was quite interesting to think about how uh, lock culture works differently for podcasts than it does for paper fanzines. No, and I think I think um I think publishing an Amish, as um Peter Sullivan um called it in a forum somewhere. I don't think it was a tweet because he's not in the mentions of our Twitter account. But I, I'm sure I saw him comment something along the lines of, "I was wondering if you were going to do an Anish," and then you said you were, and that's good. Um, but yeah, I think the benefit of doing it as an Anish is that like we can publish a retrospective of kind of what people um were commenting on and it would be a good kind of look back at the year and it means that you know we're not kind of doing a fanzine as well as a podcast which might be a bit tricky 
um but uh yeah it gives us the ability to kind of share with listeners the um the wisdom of our um inter interlocutors i have no idea if that means column letter of comment writer but i've decided it does so you know letter hacks letter hacks yes that's a good fanish word for these things we did also get a poem um so we got a poem from chris garcia chris has written us a poem and it is called three roads converge in a thorpen wood no one knew the world would shut but that we'd find a light called octothorpe three fens deep cut that makes the world seem right Unlike most pods upon I came, here locks rain in the dark. Post-talk of cons and books and games. Truly sorry, Mark. Alison will say a thing that John will not near grok, and Liz will think it gives a ring, though somehow they'll still talk. And finally they wrap their talk as it ends with a beep. Gmail's open for my squawk, because it's goodbye from me. A very good poem. Thank you. So, since last time we recorded, EasterCon have released um, two weekly podcasts uh, in which they have announced that they are going to be using Gather Town um, for the social spaces of their convention, and they have announced that their program will be accessible through both Gather Town and through televisions, smartphones, and tablets. Um, so, we have thoughts. Which is fitting for our anniversary episode that we get to have thoughts about EasterCon going virtual because that was one of the things we discussed quite a lot in the very first episodes of Octothorpe. So, Gather Town, for those who don't know, is basically a bit like what would happen if you merged Zoom with Pokemon but took out all of the animal slavery. Um, it is a top-down 16-bit um, view of a world that you can walk around and when you get close enough to people, their videos pop up and you can talk to them and if you walk away from them, their videos go away and you can no longer talk to them. And in this way, it somewhat resembles real life. It also has the ability you can kind of put objects in that world that can be interacted with and so the, the reason I have spent a lot of time in Gather Town previously is mostly because a lot of conferences have been using Gather Town to do poster sessions um, because poster sessions are very difficult to do over Zoom. And so having some sort of spatial way of doing it has been a huge boon um, to that kind of information presentation. I quite like Gather Town, so my reaction to this news was broadly positive. But we would be remiss if we did not say that there are a number of people in the... Um, in British fandom as a community who have highlighted that they are concerned about some of the accessibility issues that Gather Town has and um, there is kind of widespread discussion of this on, on various Discord servers um, but also um, there is a post that Alison dug up during this discussion from a conference that had used Gather Town and received quite a lot of criticism for that on an accessibility basis and, and Gather Town's kind of stance on accessibility is basically a question on their website that says please email us if you want to know about how accessible we are um because you know they don't really have a good story there um so you know there are pros and cons uh, one of the big um points for discussion when this was first announced was people who didn't have computers because gather town requires a desktop or laptop computer there is a beta tablet client but it is apparently a bit wonky and doesn't work terribly well um 
and people were a little bit concerned that if they didn't have a computer they wouldn't be able to come to Eastcom but uh, as I say the program has been um, subsequently announced to be available through other platforms as well and not just on um, traditional computers um, so that if you're if you're mostly interested in program that will be less of a problem um, but it still does exclude people who are interested in the social spaces and as I say personally I am excited about this but I do understand uh, where a lot of the people who are more kind of concerned are coming from Liz and Alison, what did you think about Eastercon's platform announcement? I think I want to say something very quickly about Eastercon's announcements, which is that it's becoming increasingly clear that um, dispensing information by means of YouTube videos is not necessarily the most efficient way of getting it out to the community. It makes it hard to share. It means that other people have to summarize what you've done or provide transcripts or all of these things um at the first point when they go up the the captions aren't ready because of the way that youtube works so if you if you do your social media shares at that point um you don't actually have your captions and it's all a bit harder than it maybe needs to be um and i think this is there's a lesson here for future conventions. It's probably a bit late for this one because they've decided this is their information strategy, but I don't think it's as good an information strategy as having clear, focused news posts that are then supported by short videos where necessary. Um, anyway, as to what they announced, I also quite like Gathertown. Um, I have been to a full event in Gathertown where they tried to deliver the program entirely through the gather and it really did not work and they had to revert to giving people direct links so i think eastercon's decision to say straight up you will be able to directly get at the content without having to go through gather to get it i think is a good one um and then those people who want the shared experience of being in gather and whose computers could cope with it will have it there as an option but for the rest of us we'll just sit on our sofas and watch things um I think a lot of people aren't familiar with Gather yet because it's not been used as much in British and and other European and American fandom as um, some as Zoomers Discord. And the conventions in America that have used it, it's tended to be for their parties, which tend to be late at night, which tend to be like at three o'clock in the morning in Britain. So we've not had a chance to go to them. Um, I think I'm going to run some test gathers for my mates um and hopefully that will give people a chance to have a play with it and some of the people who i think are very worried about it at the moment will be less worried when they've had a go because i think you spend most of your time in video chats just the same as with any other um function but i think there is a there is an accessibility problem with gather and i think it, it's a little bit of a shame that it's the whole of the social space but i entirely understand that this this issue of there being lots of different platforms is also difficult for people. So there, there, there isn't a perfect solution yet. I don't think we've completely solved the problem of how to do these conventions. Yeah, so I think some of my issues are the same as Alison's. I will say that I haven't really used GatherTown. I haven't been to any events that use GatherTown. I will pop into some of Alison's uh, Gather parties, I think, to test it out because I'd like to try it out. Um, and I hope the Eastercom will also um, have some practice gather sessions it doesn't need to be necessarily in the space they have uh designed it could just be in some kind of test arena where you can just like move about and see how the proximity chat works and maybe interact with some objects but i think running a few um test sessions would be good otherwise you're going to have a lot of people turn up on 
Friday morning and spend most of your Friday troubleshooting with people. Um, I also wanted to pick up on Alison's point about, you know, I don't think there is one platform that solves all these problems. And I think my issue is that we've had a video from EasterCon that basically said we do have a great platform and it's going to be amazing and it's going to, you know, be the whole convention in one. It'll be brilliant. And then we sort of wait a few weeks and it's like, oh, it's GatherTown. Why didn't you just say a month ago it was GatherTown? And then we'd probably all be more excited than we are now because at this point I was like, well, I was waiting for you to unveil your amazing new platform. And actually it's a platform that a lot of people are familiar with and say, yeah, it's pretty good, but it's got problems X, Y, and Z. Um, and I do think that um, having one video that tells you it's Gather and then having everyone come along and say, oh, we can't access this on phones, we can't access this on tablets, we can't do anything with us unless it's on a you know full computer. And then coming back a few days later to say, but of course you'll be able to watch the program on your TV and or smartphone or tablet. Just seems like the wrong way to get the information out. It should have just been all there in one text post with some optional videos that you can watch. So that's not really so much a comment on their platform, which I haven't used enough to give a full opinion on, but again, on their sort of information dissemination uh, strategies. I don't I don't think it's unfair to say that although I was completely behind the EasterCon, I was a little bit worried by the fact they hadn't announced anything because I thought, you know, there's not a lot of time. And if they're spinning a lot of this up from scratch, like, you know, why have they not announced anything? And, you know, they came out and said it's Gather and I'm like, oh, phew, I know that Gather works thank goodness like there will be a convention and i will go to it and hurrah but what i will say is that i think it would have been really helpful if a lot of this community discussion about the pitfalls with gather had been had say in november so that the convention could react to those criticisms and kind of actually have a dialogue about um and i do worry that because these things are these conversations are happening now it will mean both that the convention doesn't really have time to meaningfully take those concerns on board. But it also means that the criticism and the kind of, um, it's not really a controversy, but but the controversy that there is there um, will be at risk of spilling over into the convention. Whereas if they had announced a few months ago, I think it would have had time to simmer down and had kind of had time to come to, um, before the convention started. So I do think that's a little bit of an own goal part and i think most of these problems can be traced to a lack of um a lack of thought about how to disseminate information i have two thoughts on that the first is that we're definitely not a rumor podcast but i have seen a slightly incautious post from a committee member that said something like there have been a lot of dead ends and false starts that lead me to think that they may not have settled on gather quite as early as as they might have done and they may have spent a lot of time investigating different options before uh, concluding that they were doing gather and i know that they're planning to have a really elaborate space that's been designed for the for the convention that should be a lot more exciting to hang out with than in the just stop gather but i do kind of go well at the end of the day the reason you're in this space is to meet people, not to, not to marvel at the amazing science fiction art. So, I, I am not entirely sure how that will work. The other thing about the um, protract the, the compressed timescale is that um, those of us who are doing things for the convention, who have like either we're trading or we're taking art or we're doing it, working on an area of the con, really don't still don't know very much about the what the 
bits of the con we'll be in will look like. And that is quite constraining at this point. I'm kind of like counting the days and going, I I need to know what it what the space that the dealers will be in will be like because I know what a dealer's room looks like, but I don't I, I, I don't know what you're going to be you know, I need to prepare art that will fit into the space and I don't know what you're asking me to prepare at the moment. Um and I don't like really having to do these things at last minute. I would prefer to have them tidied up and tucked away weeks before the convention so that I can not fret about them at the last minute. It's interesting you say they might have uh, tried out various different platforms before settling on Gather because it, it does kind of imply that they ended up setting their pricing structure before they knew how much the platform they were using would cost, um, which gets you into an interesting corner. I mean, obviously, like, this is all unknowable things and we don't, we are not privy to um, what happened on a committee level. Um, and so, you know, some speculation ahead um, but I do wonder whether the price was set because they sort of thought, well, we know we can use Gather, and so let's build the price around like a, a, a budget based on using Gather. And if we can come up with something we like better, then brilliant. Um, but we've got Gather as the kind of default or or fallback um, um, technology. Um, but I do I do know what you mean. Like at the point where they said it's going to be fifty quid for online. I assumed that meant they knew what the platform was, um, but they may not have done. I, I don't know. But if they're giving us full access to Gather for four days, um, that's that explains why it's 50 quid, because that's going to cost them quite a lot of money. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. But I think um, Gather is not cheap, but I think it does offer things that you can't do well for cheap so i think i can understand why they've decided to make that choice and and i'm really interested to see because i've not been to any um science fiction conventions that have used this platform so i'm really interested to see how this works as a platform for more leisure oriented um activities i'm particularly interested to see how the panels will work if you go to them in gather like i mean if they don't work well then obviously there are I mean, I'm presuming they're going to be streaming on either YouTube or Twitch, and we don't know that for sure, but that is my assumption based on the second video they posted, um, which was about kind of the program and how they're doing it. Um, but like, given that I can have that on a phone if, or, or a tablet, if the Gather integration isn't great, then there's not much kind of risk there, if you like, but I am keen to try it out and Gather to see see whether it does work well. Yeah, they've said it'll be available on TVs, um, and so unless they're restricting that to TVs that were bought in about the last year, YouTube is practically the only thing they can use. I shouldn't I don't think I should criticize them for having to, you know, set their pricing structure based around what you're probably right is having a fallback of using Gather and then looking at other things. Because to be fair, we did run punctuation and we had a pretty good idea of a budget, but we, you know, weren't really that sure of it before we started taking people's money and it turns out we overshot No no, we licked our fingers and held them in the air. Yeah, basically. But it's a lot easier to do that when you're asking for the commitment of £5 and not £50. I think that is my other thing, which I'm I'm sure I've said on the podcast before, but there are people that I know and like who would normally go to EasterCon who are saying this year, yeah, I can't afford it. And that makes me a bit sad. It, it seems slightly odd, actually, because I, although it's £50 and that is not cheap, that's the whole cost, whereas EasterCon costs me a vast amount more than £50 normally. So I feel that I know I've got people going, I see what they're offering and I do not think that £50 is a good value call for me. 
But that's not quite the same as saying I absolutely cannot go to it and spend the money. Because obviously if you were going, to, if you were involving travel and food and accommodation for a weekend, you'd be spending a lot more than 50 quid. There are some people for whom the style of convention we ran at Punctuation that has been very popular over the last year with a kind of Zoom Discord hybrid of social spaces has not worked very well. And there are at least a couple of people I've seen who have said that they're intrigued by Gather because they wonder whether that will work better for them for social spaces. And so I'm hopeful that EasterCon's decision to use Gather will mean that there will be people who have not been well served thus far who can then get something out of this convention that they haven't been able to get previously. And it will be sad if there are people for whom it's gone the other way and the conventions up to now have worked great in terms of price and in terms of function uh and this one is not um but i think as as always we come back to the 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 problem which is none of these things do everything we want at the price we want to pay and it's kind of choosing which services you want to use um to get certain features and, and prioritizing those features over um other features without kind of using 17 different platforms and making people annoyed with you because your your convention is kind of so fragmented it's impossible to relate to and we saw that with punctuation there were people who thought we used too many platforms um with punctuation even though we only really used kind of three or four um and, and it's a really hard problem um so yeah um i sympathize with the people who who are not happy that they've swapped the zoom discord model for gather but i'm hoping that that will be good for other people who who might not um have had fun so far on a point of order i don't think that something that would work for everyone is available for any amount of money oh yes true i think that there aren't there isn't some perfect solution that we are looking at and going oh god those people ran an amazing convention and if only we could afford that we do that because i think people might go for that if it existed but it doesn't and i had one more thing to say which is that they keep talking about the you know the surprise element and how they wanted to be all lovely surprise for us and for me this is a bit like saying our hotel is going to be a surprise and we don't want to spoil the surprise by telling you what it's like beforehand. I, 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 don't, think, I don't think this is how humans work. Humans like their environments to be comfortable and familiar by and large. They don't like them surprising and weird, especially not if they're spending a weekend there with their friends. And I think, I think they have overestimated the extent to which people will be excited by the surprise of it. I think what they should have done was to have a lot of it go this is familiar you're going to find it very easy that we're going to show you all how comfortable it is and then have a few things that were wildly surprising within that that's very true i did not you know pick my hotel randomly out of a hat i i looked at some photographs first when also there are i mean there are services where you can pick a hotel randomly out of a hat uh but usually you're getting some sort of reduction in cost and that's the other thing, right? Like saying our convention will, will will cost 10 times more and we're not going to tell you where the hotel is. That That is a hard sell on both fronts. That's how we got our accommodation for Helsinki because Helsinki accommodation was very expensive and we basically got an apartment where they said it'll be somewhere somewhere in the middle of Helsinki and we won't tell you where, but it will be roughly adequate. 
And we went, that'll do for us. And it was unbelievably amazing and right on top of the central bus station, which meant we had a bus that took two minutes to get us to the Congresskabau. It wasn't called the Congresskabau, Mesokeskus. I would just like to add that when you do get those mystery hotel sites that say it will be a four-star hotel somewhere in this area, I then reverse game them and work out exactly which hotels it would be before I pick one. So Works for hotels, does not work for apartments. No. And also doesn't work for popular internet platforms. There has been a lot of very justified criticism of the Eastcon, um, but I will just say that in general, although I completely recognise um, why people have been making those criticisms i am actually quite excited i am looking forward to eastercom i think it's going to be good i too am quite excited and if i I think there's a tendency when you're doing like a commentary podcast that it will come over a bit as whining um sorry guys but it's kind of amazing that they're they're running something that will be as much like an in-person eastercom as possible and i think it's going to be a lot of fun and i think people are going to be quite surprised by how much fun it is um i think you'll need to do things to manage your screen time over the weekend i'm sure the convention will have thought about this and will have programmed in things that are designed to get you out of the house but just in case they haven't daylight is also good we will be recording a live episode at EastCon. Oh, have we have asked. They want it. Um, so yes, um, the program team have said um, that they're going to put us in the program. Um, that is all I've heard, and it was provisional. So like, if we're not in the program, um, EastCon programming is hard, and um, you know that's entirely fair enough. If we're not in the program, then watch our Facebook page for the detail and Twitter for the details of <laughs> lo- of the Gorilla Zoom link where the live Octothought will happen. Yeah, so, so you know, look out for us at EastCon. Look out for us immediately before EastCon. Alison, you are the UK fanzine liaison. Sorry, let me start that again. You are the UK fanzine liaison for Glasgow in 2024. And uh, you want to talk about it briefly. I do want to talk about it briefly. I have a proper job on Glasgow in 2024. So what is a fanzine liaison? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? So I don't think that fanzines can really be liaised with. I think only people can be liaised with. And I think my job is to liaise with the sort of people who like fanzines. Um, I may be also a bit of the sort of people who like podcasts as I do a podcast. So especially people who like fanzines and podcasts, which is the total group of people who are listening, I think. Um, If you don't, if you don't like one of fanzines or podcasts, don't write it, it's fine. Um, I am part of the promotions division, which means that my job is to help is to help encourage everyone to join, to pre-support Glasgow in 2024, which is a bid for an awesome Wilcon. I don't think that's an official line. Um, this is going to be a feature of the things I say about Glasgow in 2024. Sorry, Meg. I'm working for Meg McDonald, who is division head for promotions the promotions division is huge and all-encompassing because really all that you're doing when you're a bid is to encouraging people to demonstrate that you're organized and pulled together and people should vote for you um, which they can't do yet not for another year but they can pre-support or friend or super friend so big plug for Glasgow 2024 this probably does mean is that when the podcast is inclined to slag off Glasgow in 2024 we'll get Liz and John to do that bit and not me Hang on, whoa, are you taking are you taking jobs with the very power structures that it's our job to hold to the fire, Alison? Yes, and that's actually how fandom works all of the time. 
<laughs> I will perfect my very best Alison impression for the next time I feel inclined to uh, complain about something Glasgow have done. Excellent. Which I, to, I don't think I have complained about anything they've done yet. So, you know. They're very well managed bit at the moment so i mean i'm not saying obviously things happen and stuff goes wrong especially where world cons are concerned because you know things but in general it's very it's a great team to work with and i'm really enjoying it so i'm glad to hear it and yes and if you're doing if you're doing fanzines and you're kind of not sure where what the relevance of what you like about fandom is to world cons i want to talk to you about that because that's my job nice um if you could also get glasgow to buy adverts on octthorpe that would be grand Oh, I was going to say that. Hi, Meg, if you're listening. Um, yes, I did tell you, I think, that I was likely to go off-piste quite a lot, and this is an example. And Glasgow might want sponsor reads on our podcast. I think you almost said you wanted to have sponsor reads on podcasts. We'd be a great one to start with. Our sponsor reads are very reasonably priced, and um, we'll get John or Liz to read them out. Anyway, um, so... Also, anyone else who wants sponsor reads on our podcast, we've been going for a year. We have quite a lot of listeners. Apparently, we could be monetizing. And we obviously only want to monetize with the sort of stuff that our listeners would like anyway. Yes, please pay us to say things that we'd probably say anyway. (laughs) That is a business model that I can get behind. While we were recording um unbound which is a platform for getting books funded announced that they are um bringing a kickstarter um to to do a book called 42 the wildly improbable ideas of douglas adams which will be a full color large format hardback featuring never before seen extracts from douglas's archive i am a huge uh douglas adams and hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy fan as people who have known me for a while may know and so um i'm quite excited about this so there will be a link in the show notes um and yeah i'll be backing when it is up on kicks i do have a hot take on unbound i don't like unbound so that's the thing don't tell farah it was fine for farah's thing okay so unbound takes your money and then they may never produce the book and they never give you your money back unless you explicitly write to them and ask for it it's like Kickstarter, right? Like, you can back a Kickstarter that you never... If you back a Kickstarter and it isn't funded, they don't take your money. So what happens with Unbound is that they just kind of leave them open going, oh, this poetry anthology is 9% funded, and if it ever gets to 100%, we'll, we'll make the book. Oh, I see what you mean. But you, take, you pay for the book up front, and I just think this, this business model is wrong. Um, so, yeah. But, I mean, I, I, I have actually backed a couple of things under Unba- uh, through Unbound, and they've been fantastic. And there's a few others that I should probably write to Unbound and say, come on, guys, it's three years. Give me my money back. That's fair. But I think, um, so I backed Farah Mendelssohn's book um, about Robert Heinlein, and I haven't read it yet, but that was quite good. And the thing that andrew hogg noticed when i posted this to a discord um was that it's interesting that unbound are choosing to bring this uh, project through kickstarter rather than um crowdfunding it on their own crowdfunding platform and i suspect this is because they think it will be high enough profile that being on kickstarter will mean that more people are aware of it and give it money but it is interesting oh if it's actually a kickstarter then everything i said about unbound doesn't apply to this yes why is this coming through Kickstarter? Like That's a good question. Basically they think it is a do they think it is a super niche appeal and needs to be kickstarted? Um like it's it seems to me that unpublished works from Douglas Adams 
would be a big enough deal that I'm surprised they would have to go through Kickstarter to do it. So it maybe I mean maybe it's a conscious choice that they think that they will just get more uh, pre-sales and then maybe they need the pre-sales to sort of do a large format hardback. But I'm I'm interested in that. We we are definitely seeing that there are projects coming to Kickstarter that are probably projects that would succeed um if they were not kickstarted um but kickstarter is a good way of building hype and so i think i think kickstarters can kind of be split into two halves which are projects that genuinely need crowdfunding to succeed and projects which will succeed but will get more hype if they do it as a crowdfunding pay up front model and this is something that's happening more and more in board games where you get board games companies who are well established and who could almost certainly just make board games and sell them but they go through kickstarter because it means they can exploit the psychology of kind of kickstarter exclusives and if you don't back now then you won't get this model um uh cmon c-m-o-n uh is a board games publisher that is infamous uh for their predatory practice on kickstarter i don't know which way unbound i don't know which one of those camps unbound falls into um but it may well be that they're doing it for the hype and kind of hoping to incentivize people through exclusives i will be immediately backing at the highest tier when i am able to give them my credit card details and in that uh case am rather part of the problem well and also i will just say that would not be true if it was anything else but a douglas adams book i missed quite a lot of that i can translate john said gosh wow oh boy oh boy oh boy (laughs) but i i think i think the point is with with board games that there is a certain amount of extras they can stick on top like you get a lot of these kickstarters for you know a game and then you can pledge more for the game plus the expansion or the game plus some extra miniatures whatever so i'm wondering if they're going to have all these different tiers or if it's just going to be like there's a book and if you want you can pay more and you'll get a book and i don't know a signed book by someone else or like what are the extra things i mean if it's a full color hardback it's a book I was going to say, you pay enough and they'll tip in a Douglas Adams signature for you from a tranche of them they found that he signed and left at the publishers. It does seem strange to me that they have an entire, like, book crowdfunding platform that they launched and then they're just going to do this one on Kickstarter. But anyway, we have to see, wait and see when it launches. As I say, I try not to back Kickstarters at the um, full amount sight unseen, um, but but this uh, this book will be... Um, probably an exception to my self-control in that area. I'll wait till it comes out and then make a decision as to whether I want to buy it or not. I mean, I I have literally every other Douglas Adams book, so I'm probably not going to start not having them with this. Oh, I think it probably is numbers. I think because Kickstarter, it's quite common for, for them to say, well, you'll get the first Kickstarter edition, but then, of course, it's going to be a commercial product. And I think Unbound, it's often that's what that's what it is. They they work out how many people want it. They print that many copies, plus a few extras in case things go wrong. They send them out. That's it done. Maybe that's maybe that is it. And maybe it's maybe it's because they're taking a slightly different model and they're intending to sell this after the campaign. I'm pretty sure they do sell some Unbound things after the campaign, but I can't get Amazon to load to tell me. Unbound has read a reprint of a puzzle book called Kane's Jawbone. Yes, that was what I was going to say, is that I have Kane's Jawbone and I was very, very pleased to get it indeed. Which is coming out in paperback and is available on like Waterstones and Amazon and so on as published by Unbounders. I know about Kane's Jawbone because my friend Tim did come up with a solution, although it was apparently not the winning solution, but he was one of the people who put in a solution. 
but I have the box with the cards and it is lovely. I mean, I was very pleased to get that. And that's a very good example of something that I was very pleased to see Unbound do. And it seems to me that a small scale crown funded publisher is the perfect way to do it. No, and I think I think whatever we may think of, of kind of some of the specifics of the Unbound platform, I, I think I think we all agree that a way to crowdfund nerdy books is is generally a good um and they should they should make it so that um if you back something that's still not funded three years later they give you your money back but um but in general i think they are a good thing yeah and i can see they might need a bit more of a time you know for nerdy book you might want it to be a bit more of a slow burn rather than Hmm. having to get it all done in a month like a regular kickstarter i'm not sure it's true i think about it's a great time but yes right anyway um that was the anniversary episode of the octothought podcast and it's goodbye from me it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me Listeners, if you want to know which hotel you're going to be staying at next time you're in a hotel, I recommend you tweet Liz uh, <laughs> and ask her. Um, I'm sure she will be thrilled. I would actually. I quite like that kind of puzzle. Don't tell people that. <laughs> <laughs> That's going in the podcast, Liz. 100%. My anniversary gift to you is people tweeting at you with hotel-based puzzles. The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com used under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep.